Welcome to InsureTech Insider, coming to you live from the 11FS office in WeWork London. I'm Sarah Koshansky from 11FS, and I'm joined by my co-host, Nigel Walsh, partner at Deloitte. How are you doing, Nigel? I'm fantastic, thank you. Bit of a croaky voice, but fantastic. We're joined by some fantastic guests here in the room today. Uh, joining us is James Gibson from Revolut. Uh, welcome to the show, James. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So I work for Revolut, uh, which is a multi-currency account, which allows you to spend around the world uh, with no fees or commissions at the interbank rate. And we also have a travel insurance product at Revolut. And in January, we launched it as a pay per day product. And this used your phone's geolocation to work out where you are in the world and then just charge you for those days. This is a world first, really exciting. It's had a great reaction since then. I'm really excited to talk about it today. And so my role in that was the product owner for the launch of that. So that was a kind of four-month process from start to finish. And yeah. Brilliant. And we're also joined by Oki Elazu, who's the COO of Bought by Many. Uh, thank you so much for joining us again, Oki. Could you give us a quick overview of Bought by Many and what you do? Yeah. Hi. Uh, as you said, I'm a Chief Operating Officer at Bought by Many. basically involves me looking after our customers and how they uh, access and deal with us as a business across our different business lines. Bought by Many is a membership insurance business and it started as basically a way of better meeting or finding insurance to meet customers' needs. So we use social media uh, and Facebook to help us identify needs that aren't being met by customers. So it might be people who want better insurance for pugs, for example. And we create groups of those people and then go originally go to insurers and see if we can find insurance for them. Latterly, we've been writing our own insurance products in that way. So when it comes to travel, um, we know we've identified a need, for example, for people with with serious medical illnesses who struggle to get insurance and we can identify those and then we have created an insurance product to meet their needs. Brilliant. Uh, so thank you very much, everyone. So with those introductions, it's probably no surprise that today's discussion will be focusing on travel insurance disruption. Um, however, we want to focus specifically on what we're calling meaningful disruption. So what we mean by that is the next phase of disruption in travel insurance. We had a race to the bottom on price, um, driven by price comparison sites, but that led to a lot of people having cheap insurance that was absolutely useless. So now we're seeing more useful products and services emerge, like the two that the gentlemen have just described. Um, they're not necessarily the cheapest, but they do reflect increased expectations in customer service and personalization. Um, and at the same time, there's a concerted push from uh, numerous parties to ensure that customers are properly educated on what they are insured for or not, as the case may be. So let's get into the roundtable. Travel insurance is not mandatory. And in most cases, customers are able to choose whether to have it or to not have it. And in most often to today, people buy based on price. But that the, you know, that based in and the fact that we just mentioned that it's not always the right cover has led quite a few people to believe that there's so many loopholes in travel insurance it's not actually worth buying it in the first place. Um, so, you know, my first question is, you know, what's driving this phase of disruption? Is it that? Is it the fact that many people have given up on those super cheap products and there's actually, you know, a gap in the market? What do you guys think on that? So I think I, I wouldn't say that there's necessarily one direction in which disruption is going. I think there's disruption happening all the way across the industry and everything from from the actual types of policies that are being underwritten through to the way in which the technology interacts with them through to how um, technology helps with the claims process as well. So I think I would say disruptions happening everywhere. And I would also potentially argue with the fact that customers have given up on super cheap products. We recently um, surveyed some of our customers who've uh, taken out our travel insurance products. And for them, price is still the number one component in it. 
closely followed by some other points around technology and around coverage, but it's still absolutely key to them. What we tend to do is is focus on customer needs. That's what comes first. And we've got a great belief that actually, if you give customers a product that they actually need, they'll be willing to pay the price for that. Um, And that's been substantiated across not just travel insurance, but some of the other products we do, like pet insurance as well, where we have higher premiums, but still significant sales. So um, in the travel arena, what we've identified is there are things that people want. So for example, I want to be insured. I can't get insured because I'm sick. And actually, I'm willing to pay more just to make sure I get the insurance. So uh, our products aren't cheap. But where we think it's useful for customers is they directly meet meets the needs that they have rather than just be a catch-all that no one really understands but they can pull out something that says i've got travel insurance without really knowing what that means i think this is this is key though and you talked about meaningful disruption at the outside sarah what is meaningful disruption so originally if you've jumped on a tube or whatever else around town you would have seen annual travel cover as x then it was changed into daily or, or trip per trip cover the meaningful piece to me is we've all seen the the press and the tabloids really jumping on people that can't afford insurance because of a condition, whether it's an illness or something else that means we can't get around for whatever reason. And therefore, the cost of repatriation to the insurance organization is significant and they can't afford insurance. Therefore, they're limiting their ability to go away. So I think the fact that we're now looking at organizations like All Clear or, or others that are out there that are providing the opportunities for people to travel, providing we know those conditions at the outset and are really open and honest, means that for me is the meaningful disruption. The meaningful disruption is we're taking away the pressure and the inability or reasons to not go in the first place and giving you that peace of mind that you expect. I'm still amazed, I was looking at the numbers earlier, at the number of people that are uninsured, although, as we were talking about beforehand, I think it was a quarter of holidaymakers travelled abroad uninsured in in general, which I think is probably lower than we actually expected, right? I think uninsured, and of those that are insured, I think there's probably a big number who don't really know what they're insured for. So I know an anecdote, when my father-in-law was ill abroad and he went to a private hospital, they treated him straight away, but they said, no, no, you have to go over to the public hospital, which is 20 miles away, because your insurance doesn't cover you to be here. So although he thought he had insurance, it wasn't for... That particular yeah, 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 set to, of to be in that particular situation. So, I mean, that goes, goes with lots of insurance in terms of people not really knowing what they're insured for. And that's partly because insurance companies generally can overcomplicate these things. So actually, people just don't know. So they think, oh, I've just got insurance. I'm sure it will do this and probably won't happen anyway. It'll be fine. It's only when you come to use it that you really find out about what you are or aren't covered for. But it goes back to the very basics about education and insurance in general, in my mind. I mean, so quick show of hands. There's six of us in the room or there's four of us talking. Who's got travel insurance in the room? I buy it on a trip-by-trip basis. I never go away without it, but I buy it on a trip-by-trip basis. So 50% of us in the room have travel insurance and 50% don't, but you buy it as you need to well, on demand. Well, as does Michael and Laura when they go away. Okay. We all have insurance. Second question. Who has a European health insurance card from the NHS? Yeah. So we all have. That's really, okay, that's really interesting. I'm surprised by that because often I talk to people about this and go, did you know you can get this from the NHS if you go away? You don't need insurance. You've got this. As long as you're in an EEA, then the answer is usually no. So I'm surprised by that. I mean, we have a very select group of people here. But to go, go back to the point here, I think that we're making is that actually there's two, what you both have is different sorts of products. So they are not just the cheapest possible option, but they are targeting different demographics quite clearly. You're not going after the same set of people. And that's fine. And that's actually 
one of the things we like to talk about on this show is the fact that we're opening these products up to more people. I mean, James, how do you go about making sure that people who, because obviously if it's in the app, it's super easy. Oh, I'm here, click. Okay, I've got the insurance. Great, I'm covered. How do you make sure that people actually know what they are covered for with your policy? How do you address the education piece? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I mean, let me just come to that question in one second. I just wanted to say the, the one common element I think there are, there are multiple the one that's standing out to me between our products is the fact that we're moving away from this one size fits all here's travel insurance you know take it or leave it type model and you don't really know what's in it but you either take it or you don't towards this one where actually if you've got a particular condition which you need to address there's different permutations of insurance out there which you can buy and similarly with our insurance and the way we're building it out is in this modular fashion so you can build up a product that really meets the needs that that you need and so then bringing that round to your question around how do we make sure that people kind of are aware of what they're, they're covered for, the education piece. The way that we're going about that is trying to be upfront with customers, asking them what they need when they go on holiday. So at the moment, we ask them if they'd like to add um, companions, if they'd like to add winter sports. And very, very shortly, we're about to start asking, would you like to add delayed baggage and delayed cover? So we build up from a base product to a complete product that's tailored to your trip. This has multiple benefits. The first is that it's very much tailored to you and how you need it and can be very flexible from trip to trip. But the other key benefit of this is it educates the customer when they're buying it about what they're actually buying. So they can very clearly see, oh, I want to turn on delayed bag or I want to turn on trip extension. So it covers me up to... 90 days 100 days and in doing that they're essentially educating themselves about what that covers them for their coverage level i guess how do you address the question of kind of like the value if you like so you're you're insured up to ten thousand pounds up to twenty thousand. you know that that kind of thing is often where people come unstuck as well because they think oh i've got travel insurance but the policy they've bought only covers them for a quarter um how you know presumably that's leveled out in your terms and conditions but how do you make sure people understand that when they buy it yeah i think that's a really good point and a good challenge i mean the way we're trying to we work with underwriters to produce these products we're trying to do it in a way that produces a really good product that isn't just bottoming out the market so we we actively try and push for higher limits that we think are acceptable i think we could probably do more to then educate around what those limits mean and what they would mean in the case of an emergency it's a really surprising point so if you we, we did it recently for a family trip and if you think we've got two kids two adults we've got a laptop three ipads uh camera equipment and all of a sudden you're at a really big number for gadgets that you look at the policy and go am i covered for this and you go actually they've excluded things like mobile phones by default so the things that we rely on as everyday life life items you think why are they now being excluded it makes that policy feel worthless when actually what you're paying for is repatriation in case of a major incident or whatever else or delays but to, to be to fork out for all that equipment replacement god forbid what michael travels with but for me that would be a, you know that's a significant amount of money yeah i think that's a really good point and one of the reasons that in our urgent medical products we really cover repatriation and medical treatment right so we'd not we in fact it's almost the opposite right we're saying for someone who's not well this is really what you're concerned about if you're sick abroad and or you need to get home and that's what we're going to say so basically we try and strip out additional factors and although i do like the way you can build them on so you start with something basic product and add but that's on. exactly so our basic product is this emergency medical with a high limit and repatriation that's it that's the standard but then we give you the option to build it up from there if you see what i mean so it's the yeah so in that way it, it's, it's very similar. very similar oh yeah absolutely because that for someone who isn't well that is the thing that they are focused on you absolutely know. and in fact a lot of people won't um i've a friend of mine has a, a long-standing illness and they cannot not only 
can they not get insurance? But they can't get on a plane if they haven't got the insurance because they can't go to that country because they need medication and all this kind of thing. And it actually, it really affects your ability to just get out and enjoy life. So if, if somebody like Walk By Many is providing cover that helps those people get out there, then that's absolutely brilliant. Um, I think the interesting thing will be seeing how the big insurers, whether they start to copy this, whether they start to do, you know, either approach, whether they start to take those on. I mean, Nigel, have you seen anybody, any of the big guys doing this yet? Or has anybody else seen any of the big guys doing this yet? There's a whole host of folks. I think everyone is now looking at how we disrupt and we'll we'll speak to Parole later with regards to what AXA are doing with their new brand Fizzy, which is both a technology disruption and automation on on blockchain. So we've almost got a fintech and suretech and blockchain insiders all in one there. Um, So looking forward to that conversation. I think every single one of the carrier or the major carriers certainly are creating products that are now more relevant for customers in this area so when we talk about mass or, or mass segmentation or mass personalization for a segment of one travel insurance for me really comes up as one of the things that's out there in terms of true disruption i, I actually really like the land in a country would you like insurance for while you're here part of me says are you therefore just covering the guys that forgot to get it before they went away in the first place number one because in theory you actually need travel insurance at the point at which you book it so let's assume i book it today and i land in the country in three months time or can't even get to the country you've not covered me yeah right it's a big issue okay fair enough i mean we do we use location technology to market our product so if you walk into an airport in europe you know, we have certain rules, but it basically means you might get a marketing push saying, look, are you going abroad? Do you want travel insurance? So that's, you're right, that's sort of for people who are late to the party who don't already have insurance. We only would use that if you haven't already bought insurance with us. And we then suppress that for however many months. So we're not just going to keep keep pushing Hammering that to you. with me. Yeah, 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 yeah. really. Until you hey, you're traveling again, really buy our insurance policy. Yeah, but the idea of that is then next time when you go away, you're, you're reminded that, oh, hang on, last time it was super easy with Revolut. I'll do it again. Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing there as well, the what you've just described is that kind of, um, either you've got people who think about it in advance or you've got people who do it straight away. But I think there's a third group that we haven't really touched on very much, which is the people who buy a package holiday and get the insurance with it, um, which is a really interesting one because if you buy a package holiday from any of those big brands, I don't want to single them out, but you know who I mean, they will push and push and push you to buy insurance when you're purchasing it you know, on the website. Um, so that's a market, that's a captured market, if you like. I mean, how about, you know, certainly for somebody like Bought by Many, is partnering with one of those guys an option to to open yourselves up to a wider audience or is that something that you wouldn't you know would you consider that kind of thing no the reason for no for urgent medical is because the the target audience is small in comparison to what you have for the package holiday which is actually very mainstream and and actually our business is about is not about mainstream it's about the long tail of insurance it's the niches of insurance is where we go so we are more likely to partner with maybe Macmillan or Diabetes UK, or or organisations like that, where people Proper are communities, right? So, yeah, yeah, real, real yeah. group. Well, what we've identified with the reason we're in travel is actually we're we've identified a need that people struggle to get travel insurance. We wouldn't really be in travel insurance unless it was for that reason. And therefore, we're trying to meet that need. And we feel there's a big enough niche for us to have a viable product servicing those people who struggle to get insurance. And or, I mean, one of the things I was going to go on to say, which is we differentiate also by the customer experience. I think Revolut do that as well. A lot of the new companies are thinking, actually, let's get away from the standard process of buying this product, which for someone who's not very well is both tedious and massively intrusive mm-hmm. having to explain exactly what's wrong with you and when it happened and when was the last time you went for these sort of tests and all those sort of things and we strip that with our urgent medical thing away we you know we, we have three factors that we look at you know how old are you uh, where are you going and for how long 
Right. So James, did you have a, you have a question on that? You looked like you were about to. No, no, no I was just. I know. I was. I was in, fully engaged. Oh yeah, uh, he, he looked engaged. What yeah, I was no, saying, you know. No, no, I know that's and that's really interesting. Um, and so how do you? So how do you? How do you approach it? How do you do the underwriting if you're not asking all those questions? Because obviously the reason they want to ask those questions in the old model is they want to absolutely calculate the risk that you are or aren't going to fall ill when you're abroad. How do, how do you guys either get around that or how do you combat that problem? We're very friendly and cooperative underwriters and the bands from which underwrite are quite big. So as I say, it's, it's quite an expensive product relative to a standard in, the insurance. But it, in not asking all those... Because what we found was that when you ask more and more questions, you weren't really getting much difference in the, in the price. So actually... So it's irrelevant, right? Yeah, it's kind of irrelevant. You know, broadly speaking... Say locks on houses. Who Ultimately, is the house locked or not locked? Correct. You know, and so that's what we found. And there is... I mean, it's a new product, so we, we have to... Like all uh, startups and people disrupting, you have to take a leap of faith that this, this sort of stuff will work, but people will your, find that. Your communities are based on specific needs. If you break that out further, you talked earlier about people who go skiing or scuba diving. And again, we often see those things excluded. I think I really like the idea of being able to add those one by one. Again, there's other communities, people who go on cruises. And I was you know, looking earlier at some of the folks that go on cruises these days. Typically, cruise cover is actually excluded from a travel insurance policy because you might be in the middle of an ocean. There's limited capabilities on board to, to help you out. You might need to be airlifted somewhere. You might need to go through different countries. There's a whole host of things that go on on cruises specifically or specialist cover that you can get. So communities could be just people that do certain things, whether it's cruising, whether it's uh, scuba diving, whatever else. That means that they are rife for disruption in slightly different ways to what we've seen normally. Yeah, communities is a great approach that we take because you know about these and they know about each other as well. So so you're pooling a whole lot of like-minded people and you kind of know what they do and how they go about what they're doing and you can tailor their for tailor products that meet their needs so although not specific personalization it is i don't know what the term would be but it's understanding that group what they do what they need and designing products that meet their needs specifically um is our approach it's actually opening it's actually approaching smaller demographics there's a smaller demographic groups i think that to to nigel's point there are quite a few people who will do you with specialist ski cover or i know that saga does cruise insurance for very long complicated reasons but like there are (laughs) there are kind of you know that those specialist products out there i sort of like to move the conversation on a little bit to go actually to a point that nigel mentioned earlier about european health insurance cards and this is kind of sort of a general travel insurance question but if we lose those cards, which we may well do a la Brexit, <laughs> what does that mean for your for you guys as, as travel insurance? You know, what does that mean for the products you create? If you know, is it is it even relevant? Because as we're saying, if you've got the card, you don't necessarily need travel insurance, or, or will it you know force disruption? What impact, if any, is it going to have? So my limited, uh, I will put on the table at this point, uh, knowledge of kind of European. Uh, regulation particularly in what direction we're going but is that it will have a negative well, it will push up premiums for insurers in Europe as at the moment basically because of the EHIC uh, insurers are able to protect themselves to an extent and know that at least in some cases the costs will be covered this will no longer be will not necessarily be the case but I know there's been mixed signals coming out of the government about this so I'm interested to hear if anyone has alternative points of view on this. I'm with you I think it's, it's, it's all open for discussion I suspect we'll end up with agreement that is quid pro quo 
because equally the number of people that travel abroad come here. So it's in everyone's interests. But I surely that's like with so many things with Brexit. Don't um, even you know, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen. Do we want to go down that rabbit hole? Uh, travel insurance, travel insurance. So for the for the for the free movement of holidaymakers, let's call it that way. I suspect there'll be something that makes sure it's uh, it's easy to do still, and we and we maintain the rights accordingly. There, I mean, there are you know very there are very obvious models here. I know that if you go to Australia, you have and they have Medicaid there, which is sort of similar to the NHS. It's not the same thing, but like similar enough, and that that is reciprocal. I know that because my sister is in Australia and she uh, managed to fall off a curb and break her foot, and we had to work out how to get a medical treatment via WhatsApp. But the point being that that agreement already stands, and there's no reason why that model maybe wouldn't be. Um, you know, adopted. Ultimately, I think like all of these things, they come down to the stories that you see in the press or whatever else to go, hey, it cost Nigel a hundred grand to get his mother home who, in fact, did X, Y, and Z on a family holiday and as a result then has loads of challenges going forward. That's the bit we want to try and avoid, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's an, it's an interesting one. And, and the, obviously, the further abroad, the more exotic places you go, the, the more complicated these things get. What, you know, what about looking to the future of kind of the, the types of products you guys offer? I mean, Oki, is there another group that you think would be well suited to your kind of products if you're going after those sort of more community, smaller communities? Yeah, I mean, our, our sort of strategy around travel insurance is about groups and needs, as I've said numerous times. And so our first product is a really very generic one you know, about people who really, really struggle to get um, insurance. But what our analysis looking at groups has also shown us, there are very specific groups of people who maybe can get uh, insurance, but they're not sure that the the process is is a good one. They'll give you an example. So diabetics. So the process for uh, someone who has diabetes is, and I won't go into technicalities, you know, helix system, it asks lots and lots of questions, but they're not really very specific about what you need to be a very well-managed diabetic. So therefore, the answers aren't necessarily the most relevant ones, and insurance is not necessarily the most relevant for a diabetic. So what we would look to do is is build out a, a set of questions that are actually much more specific for someone with diabetes. We know the group, we know how to find that group of people, we already have some, and we want to make sure they have insurance that meets their needs as diabetics, and is asking... Wh- what is your risk factor as a well-managed diabetic? And we get that from asking the right questions around how you manage your diabetes, not a random set of questions that are for everything. And so actually every bit of travel insurance we'll roll out from, from now on will look at uh, groups, and, and diabetics are a big group of oh, people yeah. now, and growing, yeah. and making sure the question set and the customer experience uh, matches what they require. And then therefore the products meet the needs that they have and the price Depending on the location that they go to, availability of care in the country that they end up in, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. But properly reflects that my son's a diabetic and he has slightly different needs to a normal 10-year-old. But generally, he's the same as every other 10-year-old and I wouldn't expect the price for him to change if the right questions were asked. His risk is no different. This is personalisation of insurance. We could be talking about risk pooling all the time. This is about finding groups that go, actually, let's let's be aware of it, let's be open and honest and have a two-way relationship with the insurer that wants to be there for you if something goes wrong. Right. And God forbid, you know, touch wood, nothing, nothing does. So it's, it's the right way it should be. And can, can I just ask, I have interest, are you, that, so that's on the kind of the customer side. In terms of distribution of those in, in, insurance, are you planning on using technology to reach different groups of people or, you, or is your existing kind of distribution model? Our distribution model is broadly the same. We use Google and Google AdWords and then Facebook to distribute or find our customers and get them to join our groups. And actually, the more specific you can be, the better it is for us. So actually, funding someone who generally wants travel insurance 
is very broad, but someone who wants travel insurance for diabetics for, for a Google search and then using Facebook is, is much more specific. And so we'll use, we'll continue to use that in the same way we use people who are looking for insurance for Labradors. <laughs> I imagine that word of mouth is, I mean, we know how important word of mouth is on the sort of the fintech side if you look at the Revolut side, but I imagine word of mouth is very um, important for you guys as well. Literal word of mouth. So if you're in a community and you say you have Labradors, you all meet on the common every Saturday, that kind of thing. Literal word of mouth is really, really important. I, th- I would say that's probably now... You know, after Google and Facebook and some email stuff, our most fourth most popular channel is literally other people telling other people about our insurance products, but more importantly, at the customer experience. So with the urgent medical, people say, I can believe it. I mean, literally asked three questions and that was it. But I still go back to no one reads the policy. No one, unless you have a specific issue, no one reads the policy. I go back to, you know, your point about turning things on and off. I think it's really important to be as transparent as possible, like Lemonade are up to. I logged on to my insurer the other day, had a great experience. Uh, I have a number of products with them already. I didn't have travel insurance. They said, would you like free European travel insurance? Click here to say yes. And that was it. I have not read the policy by now. Free European travel insurance from a tier one carrier. Thank you very much. Yeah. Oh, no, we agree with you. And we have won an award of accreditation from Fair Finance for the simplicity of our wording. So the reason people don't read the policies is they are very complicated and it's very hard to understand. Whereas our policy documents have a reading age of seven, right? So, so I've got some chance is what you're saying. Have a chance, no, a slim one, but you have a chance of being able to understand our policies. And although that sounds like a throwaway comment, it's really important when it comes to the claims part of it. Because actually, if people can understand what they've taken and what they've written, and the policy documents is only on a few pages and it's very, very easy to read, then people do tend to read them. Mm. I, t- I totally agree. I mean, back to good old, good old key facts. I mean, the reason I mentioned it was I mentioned cruise insurance earlier. Again, not one I knew pre- before researching the show. You may have seen in the press earlier this year was around if claimants are drunk, they wouldn't be covered on their travel insurance. So in most travel insurance policies, there's an alcohol clause that says if you have had one too many or seven too many or whatever else, then actually you may invalidate your uh, your, war- your warranty. Your, uh, <laughs> your personal, personal warranty personal on your legs. Warranty, yeah. Yeah. But you may invalidate your travel insurance and you can't get repatriated whatever or can't get your costs for healthcare recovered because you were drunk, basically. But I think I think the the way that you sort of counter that a little bit is, I mean, and a that should be obvious to most people. Um, but B is kind of for somebody like Revolut or for Bought by Many. If you mess up, if you end up with loads of people on Twitter going, they told me I was covered, I wasn't covered, I had to, sp- I didn't get home. It's a much bigger deal for you guys than it is for AXA for example, because your reputation... So it's actually in your interest to make sure that you are as clear as possible and that people know what they're doing. So I guess, you know, to go back to your point, James, is it do you actually need... You need to be clear, but do you actually need people to read the policy documents or does it matter so long as they have an understanding? I mean, ideally, everyone would read the policy document because the ultimately... The advice is to always read the policy document. <laughs> but what we, we found is there are... Co- we, we've basically worked with our insurer to, to identify cases where people thought they were covered when they weren't and I'll admit it there have been a couple of cases like that since we launched but what we're trying to do is proactively manage those and come up with solutions for them so for example we let customers sign up in the first eight hours of their trip but we get some customers who sign up in the 30th day of their trip have an accident and then hope or think they're covered and unfortunately they're not because they didn't sign up in the first eight hours of their trip in most situations, we're able to mitigate this because we, we use location data to tell when you're abroad and then not offer it to you. But in some cases, we don't have that data. So what we're doing is introducing a push notification for those customers saying, looks like you're abroad. 
you've just bought insurance. And remember, you can only sign up in the first eight hours of your trip. And my point is... So we're, little nudges all the time. We're trying to basically identify known problems, which there will always be some, I think, with insurance, and really reduce them and mitigate them as much as possible. I think that's really important on travel insurance because it's a gross generalisation, but lots of traditional insurers really manage claims very tightly and will look for loopholes not to pay claims. Your point is a very valid one. When you're a new business establishing a brand, what you don't want is to get a reputation for not paying claims or going through loopholes. It's not it's just not going to help you generally. So I do think it's important that the education part up front is incredibly important. And in travel insurance, it's even more important because it's very emotive because often those people, yes, it might be baggage, it might be cancellation, but if they're caught abroad and can't get treatment or can't get home or this is big, this is newspaper worthy stuff so it's not little stuff this is big stuff and they get amplified right they get amplified really quickly so um i think that's a really good really good place to end this roundtable discussion thank you so much for joining me it's been a really great conversation and it's really nice to have you know two different different providers um who can agree on things and also disagree so where can listeners find out more about you james well, if you'd like to get in contact with me, uh, you can do so uh, through uh, LinkedIn. My name's James Gibson. I work for Revolut. So you'll be able to find me that way. And yeah, I'd encourage you to, to check out our paper day travel insurance, which you can you can buy through the app. Brilliant. And Oki? Similar. If you'd like to get in touch with me, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, Oki, O-K-E. There probably won't be many of those. Uh, and I work for Bought by Many. Please come visit us on www.boughtbymany.com. Brilliant. And Nigel? Nigel Walsh at Twitter. And you can find me at Sarah Koshansky on Twitter. So next up, we bring you a fantastic interview with Parole Green, head of UK strategy and innovation at AXA. Let's hear from her now. Welcome to InsureTech Insider. I'm Sarah Koshansky, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Parole Green, head of strategy, M&A and innovation at AXA. Welcome to the show, Parole. Thank you for having me, Sarah. It's a pleasure to be here. Brilliant. So um, in this week's show, we've been speaking all about travel insurance disruption and new business models, um, of which Fizzy, a product built by AXA, is a perfect example. So could you start us off by giving a quick overview of what Fizzy does? Fizzy came about as part of our program in the innovation uh, team called AXA Next. And it was sponsored by our group chief innovation officer at that point, Hassan el Shabravashi. What essentially his remit was that he uh, needs to build itemized products which can be sold through e-commerce platform and are parametric. So Travel insurance has the biggest e-commerce footprint. So it is one of the largest uh, areas where people buy product through uh, online and mobile applications only. So this presented a really good use case for us to develop this uh, itemized insurance uh, product, which basically what it does, it's, uh, it's a flight delay insurance and it pays out the claim on trigger of um, flight delay stats received from third party, which confirm that a particular delay has happened and a uh, self-executing piece of code then triggers conditions that are met on blockchain and amount gets paid. And it should be automatically uh, paid to you at the time that you disembark the fl- flight. But if it doesn't in seven days' time, you can contact. Us. And uh, and so from a, from a customer's point of view, how do I how do I buy this insurance? Do I do I do it through your website? Do I have to download an app? How how do I get the product? So the product is uh, still in beta, 
and we are selling through our website and through mobile app. You can buy it from the website. Uh, I think it's fizzy.axa.com, and uh, it is applicable for Charles de Gaulle to U.S. flights at the moment. So that's the only sector we're covering, but we, we are looking to expand this and are trying to do development work as rapidly as possible. So is it available to everybody, or do you have to already have AXA insurance? No, it's available to everybody. Brilliant. You mentioned there a blockchain a little bit. Can you uh, tell us a bit more about what the advantages are of, of using blockchain for this particular product? Because it's not only are you doing InsureTech, but you're doing blockchain here as well. So uh, we'd like to know a little bit more about that decision and uh, and what it brings to the product. So um, when we launched the product, it was pitched as a smart insurance tool that uh, flyers can use to insure their trips the flight is delayed uh, more than two hours. So what makes uh, uh, the blockchain use notable is that it's a smart contract and it's a self-execution of the claim event. And um, these two play a key role because there is an accessible record of the insurance contract itself within a smart contract that serves as a mechanism of triggering the payment to the client once the two-hour mark is passed. What it tends to do is that lack of trust in insurance is mitigated through this contract being self-executing and the contract conditions being untamperable. And the transparency that it offers to the insurance process is what makes the product very attractive because a lot of travel insurance people claim that at the moment of truth, there is always uh, things that your insurer tells you post facto that mean that you don't you can't claim. So those dissatisfiers of moment of truth go away in this case because of the transparency, tamper-proof records and self-execution, uh, auto-execution of contract, which gets embedded through having the contract on public blockchain. So um, it means that you get away from that fear that a lot of people have, which is that they're going to buy travel insurance, but somehow the insurer will find a loophole and, and, and not pay out. Is, is that what you mean? Exactly. So it's uh, it makes it customer-oriented because there's a definite goal. You remove this uh, fear of insurance exclusions because the smart contract is set at the time of you agreeing within the terms within the fizzy and it you don't really need to go through a cumbersome process or prove that something has happened the stats for flight delay are picked up from uh, uh, very well-known flight data sets, which we have access to through our travel insurance main product as well. Is that a major benefit that, uh, say, you know, Fizzy and AXA have over some of the startup insurtechs um, is that you can leverage, you know, the A, the brand that AXA has, but also, you know, as you mentioned there, the connections? So, um Yes, the brand, uh, the fact that um, AXA is a well-known insurance brand and when we're, when a new product is tried by a customer base, we have a ready customer base that we can reach out to in order to test. So that is uh, definitely an advantage. And of course, there is an advantage that flight data that uh, we have already have access to, we can simply plug it. But the reason I w- want to caveat brand is very, very important, but the availability of data sets, increasingly open data means that a whole lot of 
these stats and connections can be made by smaller startups as well. There is a greater democratization. So I wouldn't say that access to this, uh, to data sets is uh, such a core barrier to entry. I would say that within insurance, being a recognizable name is definitely uh, a barrier to entry uh, for smaller players and also having ready customer base you can reach out to and ask them to test. There are also, we have big marketing reach, which always, always helps. So um, what does the what's next for Fizzy? You mentioned there that right now you're in beta and you're, you're testing it with a limited number of customers. What are the next steps or, or what can you tell us? I know some of it is um, probably not available for public consumption yet. From dev team's perspective, uh, what I have been told by dev team is that they are trying to expand the sectors that they will be operating in. And they are learning through the experience of people who have currently been using the Fizzy product to improve the UX, CX, and also make it more intuitive for the customer. It's an iterative process in terms of expanding. But beyond that, what I want to reiterate is that having the smart contract to trigger indemnification, to increase the level of trust for our customers to AXA doesn't just operate within a sector like travel insurance, which has already a great e-commerce footprint. We're also using this parametric insurance in crop insurance. So if there is a crop failure of you are an owner of a vineyard and there is a crop failure because of X weather event, we've agreed the terms that we will pay you X terms times the premium, and we will automatically trigger that payment back to you because we are using parametric insurance and auto-executing contract, the strength of uh, the blockchain. So we are looking at a whole set of parametric insurance use cases where we think there is a real need and there is a ready appetite for this uh, dissatisfier to for customers to actually start testing. So two-pronged answer, we are expanding within travel through sectors and looking at new risks which could be covered beyond the flight delay, also beyond just travel. What are the other lines of businesses where the parametric insurance could be expanded? So that that kind of uh, leads me on to, to my final question, which is: um, given that you you have such a you know you do such a lot for AXA, it's not just fizzy you look after. You know, what do you think it is about the insurance industry that means that it's ripe for tech innovation right now? You know, why are you guys focused on it at the moment, and 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 you know, what areas are there that you know can still see some definite improvement? This this is a question that get asked uh, quite a lot. Why? is uh, innovation be uh, at such a forefront. So what is triggering this whole uh, set of interest in innovation is greater democratization, greater compute, greater uh, processing power, greater availability to data sets, to huge number of uh, disruptive players. These could be two guys in a garage trying to develop a protocol on Ethereum because the ability to do so and the compute power through cloud computing and also availability of huge amount of uh, very democratized AI um, capabilities through Google provides it, IBM provides it, means that a whole lot of people can actually take on any challenge and have the processing power and capabilities to develop any kind of rival offering. So what, what it tends to do is change the basis of your barriers to entry coming further down strategically. But why specifically insurance is because 
we are in the business of pooling risk and trying to pool this risk and pay uh, use the economies of scale and scope to price it at a price point, which means that people are able to afford and come into the pool. Now, the activity of pooling risk means understanding the risk. And as we stand here today, the nature of risk has changed and is changing quite rapidly. So if we were to look at uh, mobility, for instance, motor insurance, if there are going to be autonomous vehicles on the car, what does it mean for motor insurance? There is no personal accident, but there could be cyber hijacks. So what it is doing now is it is um, why we are so focused on innovation today is that everything around us is changing together. And if we don't keep looking outside into the ecosystem, finding partners, finding investments, doing research uh, our own selves, we could lose our uh, current advantage. So I think that is the reason why there is so much emphasis within AXA on innovation. It's about keeping your, your competitive advantage and staying ahead of those challenges who, uh, who because the barriers to entry to the insurance industry have, have dipped. Yes. And from anyone, you would, in traditional strategy, look at your peer group. But your peer group no longer is the relevant attack base. You have to, if you were a military strategist, if you were fighting another army or two or three army, you would have few fronts where you were fighting. But here you have guerrilla warfare as well. So you will have a little guy pelting some really toxic missiles at you. So you need to uh, therefore be very ready on many fronts and very agile in adapting the way you are reacting to the market to keep the customer base market, keep the trust of the customer and be as valuable to the customer as as you can be as the customer's taste change. So it's the relentlessness of competition from almost many sources, which uh, technology democratization is, is offering, which is uh, quite different in the fourth industrial revolution as opposed to the previous three. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Paral. That was really, really insightful. Um, and thank you so much for, for coming on the show and giving us your time. Um, where could people find out more about you? Uh, do you have a Twitter handle or LinkedIn maybe? Um, and about the product Fizzy? It's uh, AXA. That's it. Brilliant. And what about yourself? Do you want us to um, give people your Twitter handle or your email address or something? Twitter handle is Parol Green. Thank you. So people can find you at Parol Green on Twitter. Thank you so much for joining us today, Parol. And thank you so much for joining us on InsureTech Insider. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you for your time. And now let's discuss this week's InsureTech news stories. So first up, we have a story from Reuters. Um, JD.com takes $85 million stake in Allianz's China unit. For those who don't know, JD.com is a um, a giant e-commerce site, basically. And as with everything in China, it is like giant with a capital G. Thoughts on this one, Nigel? Again, just the sheer scale and size and pace of things happening uh, in the East right now never ceases to amaze me. Um, I think many of the big carriers you'll have seen the Aviva announcement with Tencent a while back are rapidly creating beachheads and working out ways in which they can collaborate together. This is another great example of two organizations working out how they can attack the market. 
yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, all those things in China absolutely are ones definitely worth watching. So the next story comes from Insurance Times, and it says that two-thirds of manufacturers remain without cover despite a serious cyber threat. So the synopsis here is that uh, nearly half of UK manufacturers have suffered a cyber attack, but the majority still don't have insurance against a cyber breach, which is um, worrying, I think. What about what are your thoughts on that, Nigel? I think so. so I know we come back on the, on the back of uh, travel insurance and talked about education briefly, but cyber for me is probably one of the hottest topics I talk to clients about right now. Uh, number one, and if it's not cyber, the second or hottest area is SME. So the two together is not surprising whatsoever. You'll remember when we had Gareth and James in from um, Hiscox and Zurich, respectively, talking about cyber insurance. Uh, they talked about the SME market, and I think it was something like, uh, was it one in three or one in four si- uh, medium-sized businesses that don't have uh, cyber insurance cover and have a cyber attack go out of business in six months. So it's a big number. Uh, it's a massive opportunity here for insurers, uh, but also a big education problem. So yeah, if you want to know more about uh, cyber insurance, um, that was episode 11 of InsureTech Insider. So you can go back and find How it. How did you know that so quickly? I'm I'm psychic. Uh, also, I have Laura and she's brilliant. And she tells me everything I know. As I was saying earlier, Laura could type anything into this document and I'd read it. Our next story comes from Insurance Times again. And it's one I think we've heard about a million times. Um, this is a, a new survey that says, 30% of consumers would consider switching to Amazon, Google or Facebook for their insurance. Oh, that's a groan and a sigh. And, and I think we've all used the examples over the years. I'm guilty of it myself. But I think I'm tired of it now. I don't know about anyone else, but I'm tired of the let's buy our entire life from Amazon or Google. It's probably the truth, right? Again, we know our Amazon delivery driver by name now. We get so much stuff. It's, it's kind of scary. Would I move my insurance products there? Do I have the trust or whatever else? I don't know. But I think we've got to stop with the one and two people would buy the stuff from, from Amazon or whatever else right now. They've, they've done things in insurance for a very long time. Yeah, I mean, I think I think everybody everybody kind of understands now that if it's put in front of you by Amazon, a large number of people will purchase it. And they purchase it not because they've got a great user experience, but because they are flawless execution. So learn the lessons from someone like Amazon on execution. When they say they go deliver it in two hours, it gets done. Imagine your car insurance being done that way. And talking of driving, uh, our final story today comes from the Yorkshire Post. This and it says favorite. how driving in certain types of footwear could invalidate, in capital letters, your car insurance. Now, the story is, and Laura and I were having this conversation, we were told when we learned to drive that driving barefoot was illegal. I have to say I have driven barefoot on many occasions because it seemed more sensible than driving in whatever footwear I was wearing at the time. But it would seem that that is in fact not the case. It says it isn't illegal to wear flip-flop sandals or even to go barefoot while behind the wheel as long as you still have proper control over the vehicle. But... But the footwear is not allowed to impact on the way a car is driven. And if it does, there can be repercussions. If you put you, yourself, passengers, other motorists in danger due to your, um, in danger due to your footwear, then it's illegal. Can you see the Daily Mail headline now? This is brilliant. It says, um, you should have a sole no thicker than 10 millimetres, but the sole should not be too thin or soft. It should provide enough grip to stop your foot slipping off the pedals and not be too heavy. Not limit ankle movement. Be narrow enough to avoid accidentally depressing two pedals at once. <sighs> You've read more of your insurance policy now than you've ever read in your entire life. It's fascinating. I mean, I know so many people um, that have multiple pairs of shoes for when they drive. Of course, you have driving shoes if you're really into a a driver's driver type thing. But I know uh, plenty of ladies that have flats in the car for driving because they won't drive in heels. Not because they can't drive in heels, because they damage the heels for heel sake. Yes. I mean, the interesting thing is that actually there aren't many female shoes that fit those specifications except for trainers. So high heels won't work. Ballet flats wouldn't work because they're too thin. Flip-flops would get caught. Court shoes aren't going to work. So actually, it, it kind of limits you to kind of 
gentlemen's brogues or trainers. Can you imagine now? You'll be you'll be on the price comparison website saying, "I'd like this, this, and this." Does your car have a tracker? Yes. Does your car come with spare pair spare pair of shoes? And where do you leave those spare pair of shoes? Because normally people leave them in the footwell as well. So uh, as Sarah's nodding away, going, "I've now jammed my high heels under the accelerator pedal and can't brake." Yeah, I have to say, I drove in flip flops once. It was the worst mistake I've ever made, and I never did it again. I've driven in barefoot once, never high heels. Be pleased to know. And um, yeah, it was awful, just awful. Don't know why you would. <laughs> so that wraps up another InsureTech Insider. Thank you so much to all our guests, to James Gibson, Oki Ilazu, and Parol Green. As always, you can find the show on Twitter at InsTech Insiders. And if you like what you've heard this week, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and please, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you have any suggestions or feedback, please reach out on Twitter or email podcast at 11fs.com. We'll have more InsureTech Insider very soon. <laughs>